On episode 319 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn about five double strategy mistakes that you must avoid. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is your host, Mirbon. I hope you're having a great day and playing a lot of tennis. We're going through a little bit of a heat wave here in Maryland lately, and in the meantime, I've been trying to watch as much U.S. Open that I can. I hope you've been watching that too and taking some notes and really great performances from uh, Djokovic, TFO, Ben Shelton, a lot of good stuff there, uh, Ostapenko. So yeah, yeah, really enjoying it. Uh, one of the most fun times of the year for sure for tennis fans. I actually did not get to go up to the Open for the first time in I think six years, uh, of course not counting 2020, although I think they might have had that later in the year, but I didn't go then. But anyways, yeah, today I'd like to talk about uh, some double strategy mistakes. And this idea actually came about uh, from a chat after uh, 9-5 doubles match. Shout out to uh, Jessica, Chris as well. Um, had, had some great people up there at the dinner. Um, but we had a 9-5 match and my court actually did not get to play our match because the other team didn't have one of their players available, but we played a practice match and my partner and I lost in three sets. So it was a a close one. Shout out to Jen, Angel and Henry as well. Hope you all enjoy this episode. But at dinner we were talking and I think Jessica was teasing that I I seem to only talk about um, strategy and stuff based off of matches that I win. And so I wanted to do the opposite and just talk about realities as well, you know, like when you lose and what you learn from matches and things like that. I think I might have done that a while ago, um, just like reminiscing about juniors and college and stuff. But um, I did learn some good lessons from this practice match that we had. And yeah, it's, it's really important, especially to analyze when you lose as losing is part of the journey. And you learn more from your defeats, generally speaking, than your victories, especially because it's just uh, more painful, you know, maybe a practice match isn't as painful, obviously, but, you know, generally when you lose, it starts to jog the mind more about, oh, what did I do wrong here? What can I do better next time? So, yeah, we're going to get into that. But first, I want to bring back my pun of the day. You know, I have some listeners who really love puns, probably all five of you out of the thousands, but uh, <laughs> in any case, I will cater to you today per people's requests. So, uh, here's the pun. What do you call a tennis player with a really good serve, but a bad attitude? Answer, an ace hole. Okay, hopefully you haven't hit the, the stop button at this point in time. I just want to commend you for holding on. And I know that you value the content so much that you will bear through this terrible joke. All right, and now let's get to the five double strategy mistakes that you must avoid if you want to be successful 
in your doubles matches, and I'll also give you a nice bonus, as I love to do. All right, let's get to it. Mistake number one is being too tentative and hitting off the back foot. So I would say, you know, growing up as a primarily singles player, my tendency was to be a very consistent player, more of a backboard, and sometimes when matches get tight or got tight, I would kind of resort to just, you know, playing more defensive, getting every ball in and so forth. But you can't really do this as much in doubles. I wouldn't even encourage it in singles so much. I mean, of course, you know, strategy dictates in your opponent. So maybe, you know, full defensive mode would work if your opponent is making mistakes. But you can't really play very defensive in doubles and be successful, especially if you want to hit certain um, levels of the game. So if you're playing tentative, you're hitting off your back foot, this will invite pressure. Uh, just speaking about my experience um, in this practice match, and actually even when I played, uh, what was it, Saturday? No, I'm sorry, Monday morning. At times I felt like I was um, not being aggressive enough. You know, obviously you don't want to be too aggressive and just go crazy and say, oh yeah, I'm being aggressive. I'm going for my shots. I mean, obviously there's a threshold, right? But, you know, sometimes when you feel like you're, you're not shifting your weight forward or at least keeping your, your weight, not going backwards when you're hitting the ball, maybe you're doing too much of a, uh, like a buggy whip, um, sort of defensive shot, um, when you're rallying, if you're at the baseline in doubles, uh, these sorts of things are kind of warning signs and and what it equates to is it allows the other team to take control of the point because all of a sudden now you're hitting your shots more shallow, shorter, obviously, is what shallow means for any of you who are not SAT uh, stars. And yeah, so when you do that, then all of a sudden the opponent gets confidence and they, they think, okay, like the other team's not attacking, I'm getting these short balls, I can... I can, you know, crush one of these at the net player. So, yeah, I mean, you know, big negatives, you know, um, to be had there. Your net partner is not going to be a big fan of you if you do this. And you know, like I said, you know, once in a while I, I sense myself doing this and it's usually, you know, the indicator is when the other player hits, a, you know, winner down the line against my partner or is able to really smack a ball against me. And it's a huge difference when you do the opposite of this, which is, you know, you, you tell yourself to commit to the shot, you hit more aggressive, you keep your weight forward, maybe you want to uh, shorten your backswing a bit so that you can, you know, have enough time to, to actually uh, swing uh, forward instead of spending, you know, a lot of time on the backswing and then you have barely enough time to connect to the ball. Uh, when you do that, then the total opposite effect happens. Um, so yeah, you know, just try to reset during you know, during the next point after I realized that, uh, gave myself some instructions and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm putting the other player on the back foot and my uh, uh, part, net partner is the one who's being set up um, with uh, weak replies. So it's really important to kind of sense when you are the one who's playing too tentatively and it's just, it's not going to work, you know, especially, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm talking about for me, like the five O levels, playing with five O's and some four fives, but I think even, you know, down to four O's as well, even three fives. You know, you need to, you know, take advantage of uh, of the advantages of 
uh, being more offensive and taking control of points by uh, being offensive and aggressive with your shots. Um, so yeah, there's that. So mistake number one uh, is being too tentative and hitting off the back foot. Uh, number two, second mistake is using the same serve formation over and over again. So I definitely see this, you know, at 3035, 4-0, even some 4-5 teams. You know, they're just same each time the, the servers serving at the same place, uh, which, you know, that's that's not the biggest issue, but the, mainly it's that the net player is the one who's just deciding, you know what, I'm just going to set up shop, you know, right here, close to the net, a uh, few feet from the left single sideline, and that's it. And they're not doing anything. And you're not helping your partner if, if you're just doing, you know, if you have this formation if, as a net player. What I encourage you to do is to communicate with your partner and, you know, ask them, hey, would you be open to doing some poaching? Would you be open to doing some fake poaching? Even some eye formation, which I love, or some Australian formations. Because if you keep the same surf formation, what you're doing is you're giving the opponent great rhythm because they just you know that they can hit cross-court returns against you and they're going to get a groove. Whereas when I'm playing my, uh, my 5-0 men's or my 10-0 uh, mixed, and in some cases 9-0 mixed, I find that my opponents, uh, if they sense that I am you know, returning well, they're going to use I formation against me. I think that happened in both of my sectionals, doubles matches, if I'm not mistaken. And then it happens sometimes in, in practices as well, the 10-0 practices and, and 5-0, obviously. So yeah, they're going to use I formation. They're going to poach. They're going to fake poach. And I really love these formations in particular. Uh, I think as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, where you, you figure out for the server what is their stronger side, uh, stronger ground stroke. They, do they prefer the forehand? Do they prefer the backhand? And then you, as a net player, will move to the opposite side to give them their preferred stroke, and then you can change it up by, uh, you know, after two or three times of doing it that way, then you all of a sudden cross the other way, and uh, hopefully you get an easy put away. And this just provides uncertainty to your opponents, and it causes chaos, as I, I believe um, that was the title of um, a presentation slash live stream that Ian Westerman and I did on Tennis Summit, uh, excuse me, Tennis Summit a couple years ago. And yeah, I really, you know, I would encourage you to start with the fake poach, um, the easiest one in terms of movement, and then graduate to the poach. And remember, with the poach, you want to commit. So you you know you you either communicate to your partner, I'm going to poach, or you give them the open hand signal, as is the customary one. It's actually the only poach signal that I know. And then you cross, and you try to time it so that the other player is already committed with their stroke, and then you cross. Otherwise, they're going to see you move and then go down the line, and that's not going to be great. And then after the poach, then I would suggest you do. I formation, as I find that's a little bit more, well, uh, I would say almost significantly more uh, helpful in terms of getting results um, because, you know, your net player is in the middle and then the returner doesn't know or neither does their partner know whether the, the your 
you know, the server's net partner is going to go left or right or maybe stay in the middle. So that's um, definitely, you know, a little bit nerve wracking for the returner in a sense, depending on their temper, uh, temperament anyway. And, you know, sometimes in this lo- uh, situation, I like to even lob if I'm the returner. But bes- besides lobbing, you really have to commit. Just I would choose a spot in advance and say, all right, I'm going to commit because I think one mistake that a lot of players tend to make and that you know, even my partners have expressed to me, and I think I've expressed to my partner before, you know, we all make this mistake, is kind of trying to look at the net player and see like, where are they going to go? You know, I think if you're extremely gifted, um, you know, have great, really good hand-eye coordination, um, then maybe you can pull this off where you're looking at the player and then being able to redirect the ball. It kind of makes me think about soccer or football for um, you Europeans uh, and so forth, South Americans, I guess the rest of the world, really, um, besides the US, uh, they call it that. But, you know, sometimes with penalty kicks, the, uh, the one who's taking the penalty kick will be able to uh, look at the goalie, see where they're going, and then kick the ball. But in those cases, you know, I think what the penalty kicker does is they, they run towards the ball and then they kind of stop and look at the goalkeeper. And then, then they kick the ball, but or maybe they do that twice in some cases to uh, double fake them, kind of like a double poach, double fake poach. But uh, with tennis, it's really tough because you've got to pay attention to an oncoming moving ball, whereas the the soccer ball is just stationary. So you're not only have to pay attention to where the the serve is going, then you have to look at the opponent, and then you have to <laughs> you know look back at the ball again uh, and then hit it. So. You should just choose a spot, whether that's down the line, whether that's cross court, whether that's right in the middle, especially if you think they, they don't have a very good um, volley if they're going to be caught, you know, if you hit the ball at their body and just, and just um, hit the ball there. But yeah, you know, just to summarize again, the point is definitely it is a mistake to not use any different formations such as the poach, fake poach, eye formation and Australian formation. And if you don't know, the Australian formation is just having both players on the same side. Uh, So, you know, server serves on the ad side, for example, and then net player is actually on the ad side as well. Um, So there you go. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, number three is... Never returning down the line. I think that's a big mistake, especially if you have aggressive net players. Because if you never return down the line, you give the net player confidence that they can poach comfortably, that they can just leave their nice down the line or alley, let that alley relax. No balls are going in this alley and just cross. So um, I play against aggressive net players all the time. And they love to poach, and rightly so. That's what should they be, what they should be doing. Especially, they like to poach on second serves and serves to the back end. So you got to be aware of that, and you know, develop some counter strategies to that. Uh, sometimes I I like to just 
go down the line. You know, when they when they're gonna approach a goal down the line. Uh, actually, you know what? I kind of misworded this. Sorry.、Um, what I meant to say was that the net players like to poach on the first serve, and I think I misspoke and said second serve. So they like to poach on first serves and serves to the backhand, and then some advanced、uh, net players will also like to poach on the second serve as well. And I would encourage you to test these players down the line at least once in a while, because if you do this, then they're going to think twice. About poaching, maybe they'll stay put when you are about to strike the ball, and so that'll just give you a bigger cross court window to return the ball.、Uh, because sometimes when you're against these really aggressive net players, it feels like you have such a small window to return the ball cross court. And the way you remedy that is you give them some down the line shots. You know, maybe you pass them, or at the least you wrong foot them, and they have a weaker volley, and then. Um, next time you can go cross court, so you gotta, you know, you gotta think out there and figure out again, you know, some counter strategies. So、uh, it's kind of like chess.、Uh, number four mistake is playing your weaker side. So you know, this this is happens before the match. You got to talk to your doubles partner and figure out who、uh, has the stronger forehand, who has a stronger backhand. You know who prefers playing on the deuce versus the add. In other words, and then do that accordingly, because the goal in tennis is should should is that you should always be trying to play to your strengths as much as possible against the opponent's weaknesses, and to obviously be using your weaknesses as little as possible. So once you figure out the stronger sides, though, let's say you both have the same stronger side, then you would want to talk to your partner and and figure out. You know who has less of a weaker <laughs> other side. So in other words,、um, this example is my doubles mixed doubles partner Kate and I played a tennis match recently, where she played the forehand and I played the backhand, and that set ended up rough. We actually did win it, but we almost lost it, and in large part I would say because I am I'm better on the do side for sure, and she also has a better. Backhand than I do, so it would actually have been optimal for her to play the backhand side, even though she has a, you know, better forehand than her backhand. But her backhand is better than my forehand,、uh, and so what happened there is that I ended up having to run around my backhand quite a bit, and so I was、uh, missing, you know, more inside-out forehands than I usually would,、uh, which I usually hit those a lot in in singles, but. In doubles, I just wasn't used to hitting so many of them because、uh, I do try to hit as many forehands as possible. But、uh, I hadn't been playing the deuce,、uh, the ad side,、uh, much at all,、uh, especially with sectionals. I was playing all deuce. So, yep,、uh, that is my advice there. And yeah, I mean, so obviously, you know, we figured this out. And second set, we switched sides, and our second set went much more smoothly. So, mistake number four is playing your weaker side. So just make sure, make sure which side is strongest for each, and if they're the same, then who is less weak on the other side or stronger on the other side, and then do that.、Uh, number five mistake number five is not finishing the point by hitting to the net player. So this happened actually in a different practice, I believe. Although I'm I, I'm sure it happened during this nine five match、uh, practice match that. That、uh, we had lost as well, but a net partner of mine 
had a shoulder high volley. There was a net player, obviously, at the net on the other side. And instead, my partner decided to hit the volley into the open court. And, but it wasn't, I mean, it was open, but not super open. And then the other player was able to retrieve the ball. Luckily, we won the point, but it just got me thinking that if she, if my partner had hit the ball at the net player, we pretty much like 95% would have won the point. I mean, only chance would have been like a ridiculous reaction volley, which probably wouldn't have happened. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a mistake that I think a lot of people make. I mean, either they've been trained to hit in the open court, which is more of a singles player, really, I think. And also maybe there's some apprehension about hitting the other player, which I mean, look, you know, it's tennis. And I would say that uh, unless you're I mean, you shouldn't be aiming at the head. So like, you know, unless you're aiming at the head or yeah, that's pretty much the only place, then I would say it's totally fine. And, you know, what I love to do is I just like to, you know, volley at the person's feet, lower, you know, lower extremities, whatever. So I think that's totally perfect. And, uh, you know, you're out there trying to win, right? So you're not trying to hurt people, but you're trying to win. So you got to play the winning play. And that would be to... Uh, finish your volleys at the player who has less time to react, not the player who has more time to react, uh, aka the baseliner in, in cases of one up, one back for the other side. So yeah, definitely, definitely hit to the net player. Just, you know, don't aim for their head or the family jewels. Unlike some of my opponents, you know who you are, <clears throat> Jessica, Mariami, Kate, Anise, cough, cough. Just kidding. I uh, just want to do some fun shout outs. I know they're going to probably listen to this one. And then I want to give you my bonus mistake because I always love to over deliver and give more than the number prescribed in the, the, the title of the episode. And this one uh, definitely irks me and it's uh, criticizing your partner. So if you do this, you're definitely a monster. I believe in the UK, we call this type of person, a, was it a wanker or something like that? I'm trying to learn the terminologies of other countries. I think it's really fun. Hopefully that didn't mean something worse than what I think it means. <laughs> Otherwise, we might have to edit this out. But, um, you know, just think about, it. you know, what good does criticizing your partner do? It's only going to lower the confidence of your partner and make them never want to play with you. Uh, I know most of you are probably thinking like, this is ridiculous, you know, like I would never do that. But you know, there's actually a, um, a subset of you that whether it's consciously or maybe unconsciously, maybe you're just like reacting outwardly, uh, just in instinctive emotion. But uh, you really have to try and realize when you're doing this. Um, this reminds me of me playing a match at Mixed Doubles USC Nationals and unbelievably, the opponent, the, f the male opponent would keep yelling uh, at his partner and saying, we needed that whenever his partner made an error. Uh, it was really ridiculous. And I looked at the, the partner and she just looked at me sadly and shook her head. And yeah, just one of those. And, and again, you know, it's something that you think, wow, like nobody does this, right? But I keep hearing this. You know, I've, I've heard about this maybe two or three times lately especially, for, yeah, I mean, for some reason it's been mixed doubles, but yeah, just hearing from other people how, you know, they said, oh, you know, the partner was criticizing uh, the other partner and, and they were having problems and it's just, it's not productive. I mean, if you just kind of think logically for a moment, you realize what a huge mistake this is. Instead, you know, you want to encourage them, pump them up, 
uh, give them options, uh, strategy, strategic options, things like that. Um, you know, some players don't like to be coached, which is totally fine. That's why I think and, and advocate, especially based on uh, advice from a lot of great coaches who've been on this podcast, to instead of coaching or instructing, is to give your partner options. And in a lot of cases, they'll be very receptive to it. And sometimes they won't be, which is fine because that indicates that they may not be comfortable with that particular play. You know, sometimes I'll ask my partner and say, you know, what do you think about doing, uh, using I formation here? And sometimes they say, yes, let's do it. And sometimes they say, oh, you know what, let's just do normal formation. And that's totally fine. You know, I don't have to force things if your partner is not going to want to do it because then that means that it probably won't be very successful, most likely. That's just, you know, how I think about it. So again, criticizing your partner, not a good thing to do, big mistake. It really makes no sense. It's like filling up a Tesla with gas or telling an Italian to stop using olive oil. It's a ridiculo. Anyways, sorry, trying to learn some, uh, some Italian here. Anyways, mate, uh, I don't, why did I say mate? That was, that was a weird one. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I really hope that you enjoyed this list of the five double strategy mistakes that you must avoid. And again, I'll go through them just as a summarization. I know you all love that. You ask for this every time I do live streams, and so I'll do it here for the podcast. Number one is being tentative and hitting off the back foot. Number two is using the same surf formation over and over instead of using different surf formations like I-formation, Australian formation. Was it poach, fake poach? Number three is never turning down the line. You got to test that net player. Number four is playing the weaker side. Got to talk with your partner and figure that out. Very important. Very, you know, makes a big difference. And number five is not finishing the point by hitting to the net player. Hit to the player who has less time to react. That's going to be the higher percentage play. And then the bonus mistake is criticizing your partner. Do not do that. Thanks. All right, with that, really appreciate you listening. And if you did get value from this podcast and other episodes, and I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast, you can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or leaving a uh, review in your favorite podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. We just find that Apple Podcasts is the biggest mover of the show in terms of visibility, rankings, etc. So I really appreciate that. Also would like to leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by Andrew Whitworth. And Andrew said, if you're a true warrior, competition doesn't scare you. It makes you better. Definitely, definitely. Just think about Nadal. Think about Swiatek, which uh, I never would have guessed that you pronounce Ego's name Swiatek. But <laughs> Anyways, yeah, you know, these types of players, you know, you think about them and they're just competitive and, you know, the most important trait of, of players as, as I did, you know, when I did a survey of like 70 college tennis coaches and the number one trait was being competitive. So yeah, uh, that's really important there. Really love that quote. Thank you, Andrew Whitworth. And with that, thanks so much for listening. I look forward to bringing you more content to help you improve your tennis game. Uh, so all you club level players out there and other players, uh, appreciate you listening and coaches as well. Have a great one. I hope that you enjoy the rest of the U.S. Open and keep improving your tennis game. This is your faithful host, Mirabhan Aranshad, 
signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.